0: Welcome to the AD's office with Alex Larson and Devin Plekis.
1: What's up, sports fans? Welcome back to the AD's office. I'm Alex. He's Devin. Week five of the NFL season wrapped up, and there is a ton to talk about.
0: Yes, sir. It is Wednesday right now. Do we just want to go ahead and hop right into what we let off the NFL week last week? Go for it. Yeah, so last week we had the Bears finally getting their first dub i figured we trash talk justin fields at the beginning since we have a tendency to do that that at the end switch it up a little bit yeah
1: now we've we've ragged on fields and the bears a lot the bears got a win a win is a win a win is a win and how much
0: does a win over the commanders really say not too much if you follow us on twitter then you saw one of the tweets that came out for me during this game say all right guys Let's keep this in context. A lot of bad teams still win games. More than 99% of bad teams still win games. There are two teams in modern NFL history that went an entire season without winning a game. Yeah, you rooted for one real hard. I sure did. To my dismay, one was the Detroit Lions in 2008. Another one was the Cleveland Browns, who... Probably even worse than the Lions' run. They were one in thirty-one over two years. That was an abysmal stretch. It was terrible. But all of that to be said, most bad teams still end up winning at least one game in a season. Yeah, you'd think so. You'd think so. In fact, I I know so. I mean, does anyone think that the Bears or the Colts or the Texans weren't the worst team in the league last year? Now you're right. They're winning a game is well. I
1: suppose any way you cut it, an NFL roster is made up of 53 professional football players and the margin from the worst team in the league to the best team in the league seems really drastic. They're still professional athletes. Like, they're all good.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I think you're totally right. Even though some of them are much better than others, like Patrick Mahomes to Daniel Jones. Yeah,
1: no, that's a spectrum.
0: They still are all much, much more athletic than we are. They're still all incredible athletes that can do these phenomenal feats. But at the end of the day, bad teams are more likely than not. I'd say like 99% more likely they're going to win at least one game in a football season. No one's going to argue with the Colts being bad last year, the Texans, the Bears being bad last year. They all still won football games, plural, multiple,
1: plural. It's really something when a team that we all kind of know is a bad team gets a win and you start to question like, well, maybe they aren't, they're as bad as we thought. The Bears are not good.
0: Right. It is exactly that. They're not just all of a sudden good because they won a game. And the Broncos aren't just all of a sudden because they lost another game any worse than they previously were. They're just as bad as they previously were. Yeah,
1: they, they are who we thought they were. The Bears aren't going to shock anybody this season they're not going to win a ton of games the commanders i think is the bigger piece of that game yeah we we thought the commanders were nobody said they were good but we thought decent like average middle of the league if you lose to the bears especially an injured bears team on a short week you're not good
0: yeah you're 100 percent right and These commanders, they had a lot of hype surrounding Sam Howell coming into the season. Howitzer Howell. Yeah, but it was just totally unprecedented. There was no reason to think that he was going to take this big jump. A lot of teams just want to say things like that coming out of training camps and OTAs. Just, oh, all of a sudden this player looks like they're going to make the jump. There are 32 teams in the NFL and 32 teams every single season say things like this guy's going to take a jump and then it's someone who ends up getting cut or something along the likes.
1: There is a track record of quarterbacks getting substantially better in their second or third year from their rookie season. But you also have to look at the available talent in that quarterback. We've talked about Justin Fields a lot because it's disappointing because he's a phenomenal athlete. He's not living up to that week in week out. Sam Howell is not a phenomenal athlete. He does have a cannon of an arm. But overall, he's not a phenomenal athlete. He's not going to make a difference purely on athleticism. So he has to be
0: a really good
1: quarterback, a football IQ guy, a processing speed guy. Yes. That's just not who he is.
0: Yeah, you're totally right. And I've said this a few times. I think players more often than not, maybe not literally more often than not, but seemingly players live up to about where they're drafted. That's not meaning all top 10 guys are going to be elite guys, but first round guys generally play like first round guys and fifth round guys generally play like fifth round guys. Now that doesn't mean that Brock Purdy's not a superstar. It doesn't mean that Stephon Diggs isn't a superstar. It doesn't mean that Blake Bortles is a surefire Hall of Famer. But what it does mean is, you know, 60% of the time, maybe? I'm pulling that out of my butt. But (laughs) people generally are going to play the way that they are anticipated to play in that same realm of possibilities.
1: Yeah, typically guys perform exactly how the scouts said they would, exactly how all the I mean we have analytics that suggest things there are guys who break the molds and guys Stefan Diggs or frankly Dak Prescott fifth round pick fourth round pick respectively they come in and they play way better than you expect however you're right most of the time the guys are what they are
0: yeah, there's definitely outliers like Kirk Cousins was a later round pick. Russell Wilson yeah. was a third round pick. There are guys that definitely still make impacts in the league. But we can also say that while quoting those couple of examples, there's like a 78% hit rate, I think is the statistic. Don't quote me on that. I could be wrong. You could check out at math on Twitter for the real stat, but something along those lines, quarterbacks taken outside of the first round are busts. So we just happen to remember the guys who aren't, but how many dozens of guys taken in those rounds are terrible, like Kellen Mond, for example.
1: Well, and we also remember the busts that are taken in the first round like it's some huge sample size because it's like, oh, Ryan Leaf, Jamarcus Russell, Johnny Manziel. These quarterbacks who don't pan out were high draft picks. You mentioned Blake Bortles, Josh Rosen. There are a ton of guys who flame out or just, frankly, are never good. But that's also discounting all of the really good quarterbacks that were drafted in the first round.
0: Right, and that's totally it. And essentially, I don't want us to get away from thinking that the Bears all of a sudden took this massive step forward. That's yep. not me saying the Bears can't take one forward. I'm a Lions fan. We were 1-6 to start the season in 2022. Here we are in 2023, and the Lions are easily on top of their division. Yeah. So that's not to say that the Bears can't make a run later or the Vikings can't make a run later or the Commanders or whoever. But today we have two games of good football-ish on the record for the Bears. Same thing goes for the Commanders and a whole lot of bad quarters of football. Yeah, and
1: works on the other side with teams and quarterbacks that you really won't sell stock in because you know at some point they're going to figure it out. We've been talking all season about Joe Burrow and the Bengals, and they've looked terrible. I dropped them way down in the power rankings last week. I think I had them at 21, 22. Yeah. And we've continually said if we had to put money on it, Joe Burrow will figure it out. This weekend looked like Joe figured it out.
0: Yeah, it sure did, and we both had them as kind of meteoric risers this week, too. I don't want to spoil too much, but yep, you had them at 22 last week, I had them at 17 last week, and then this week we each have them at, you've got them at 15, and I've got them at 13, it looks like, so we both increased them quite a bit, and when you look at it, you can say, oh, they've only got two wins, but it's not that we see a two and three football team. It's a, we see what they have been and that they're back to it. So even though they're two and three, they can still turn out to be this elite football team that we know they can be because we've seen them do it for the last two or three years.
1: Yeah. And Joe Burrow obviously has been dealing with that, the calf injury. I think that still showed up a little bit. He had an interception, took a couple big sacks, but with no T Higgins, He hit Jamar Chase, mister 7-Eleven, always open, 19 targets. He had 15 receptions. I think he pushed 200 yards and three touchdowns. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase on the same page is a deadly combination.
0: Yeah, it's the combination that we've seen going back to all the way to uh, what is debatably the most talented college football team of all time. We've seen them do this a lot. And it looks like they're back on the same page, which has been a very, very successful recipe for them in the NFL.
1: Yeah, and it's a good time for Bengals fans for those two to be on the same page. They have a really rough stretch coming up. While they host the Seahawks and then they play at San Francisco, they host the Bills, they have Ravens and Steelers and Jaguars coming up. It's a long stretch for the Bengals with some good teams. But if you go toe-to-toe, Joe Burrow's going to win Most of the time.
0: Yeah. If those toes are healthy, then we're generally going to bet on him. Right. So I'm not going to go ahead and say they're all the way back. You know, they need to prove it consistency wise. Totally. Consistency is kind of key in the NFL. And thus far this season, they haven't had it. We're projecting, we're assuming Mm -hmm. that they're back. Maybe not all the way, but that they're at least capable of the heights we've seen them produce at. Right. And now we just want to see them do it more.
1: Yeah. And we're pretty confident that they will because we know they can. A team that I'm not at all confident with and I think is majorly on the hot seat is the New England Patriots.
0: Yeah, the Patriots are – they don't look anything like the Patriots of old, just to be incredibly clear. The defense is terrible, which we've seen them prop up a lot of mediocre teams in the past. That's not to discount all the things that Tom Brady did. He's the GOAT. He's unquestionable. Everything he did was essentially incredible. However, when people bring up the stats like he never had a bottom 16 defense, he never had a run game outside the top 13, things like that, we are not seeing that type of support for Mac Jones. No, we're not. And Mac Jones is not picking up any of the slack either. Yeah, and
1: it is, it is both of those things. Bill Belichick obviously is one of, if not the greatest coach in professional football history. A lot of that you can say is due to Tom Brady. I don't think you can isolate one side or the other in the relationship. Agreed. They worked well together. Agreed. They were a phenomenal pair. But on their own, Belichick has seemed to struggle. He's the de facto GM in New England. He's picking players. He picked Mac Jones. That was his draft choice. In the last few years, Mac Jones has really regressed when he came into the league He was averaging 67% completion percentage, had 22 touchdowns, 13 picks that first season. Right now, he's at a 62% completion percentage this season, and he's on pace for 17 touchdowns, so five less, and 20 interceptions, so a negative touchdown to interception ratio, while at the same time, he's projected to finish within two sacks of his rookie total. That offensive line isn't falling apart his weapons aren't as good, which is Belichick's fault. But right. Mac is also regressing in his mechanics. He he doesn't look comfortable. He doesn't look like he's studied the playbook well enough to find holes in defenses. It looks like he needs a lot of help that the Patriots aren't giving him.
0: Yeah, I think you're right on the nose. A couple of weeks ago with Justin Fields, we talked about the fact that he is continuing to fail in the same ways that he has the past couple of seasons. Yeah. For Mac Jones, it's different. For Fields, it's that we haven't seen him progress. We've seen him stay stagnant. Mm-hmm. For Mac Jones, we have seen him actively regress. He's gotten worse over time, and that's something that's just not acceptable for an NFL quarterback.
1: No, it's absolutely not. And it's also not the standard of excellence that has been expected in New England. Obviously, Tom Brady is an anomaly and you can't expect that. But I think Robert Kraft, the Patriots owner, does expect playoff contention.
0: Yes, agreed.
1: Patriots aren't anywhere near that. And some of that is compounded this season. Being in the AFC East, they have the Dolphins in their division who are offensive juggernauts. They have the Bills with Josh Allen. And they have the jets who theoretically will have Aaron Rodgers next season and be substantially better than they are this season. And
0: even without Aaron Rodgers, the jets have shown a very high caliber defense. They're gonna terrorize you a little bit.
1: They are and I mean they'll get after Mac Jones for sure. I don't even feel like it's a hot take. I think this is Bill Belichick's last season coaching the New England Patriots.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm not too far behind you. I wouldn't go quite that far. I think that he'll get at least partially into next season, if not all the way through it. But yeah, his leash has got to be very, very short, considering mm-hmm. he's a first ballot Hall of Fame guy.
1: Yeah, which is crazy to think about potentially not ending on his own terms. And I do think, from the outside looking in, it seems as though Robert Kraft respects Belichick enough. He's earned the respect to finish the season. My gut says first day of the offseason season. Robert Kraft calls Belichick into his office and has a uh, an uncomfortable conversation and suggests very heavily that he retire.
0: Yeah, I, I can totally see that being a possibility. The one thing that I'll say about Robert Kraft is when we think of the owners in the NFL who are very active and loud and out there, there are two names that immediately come to mind. Jerry Jones. The first one is Jerry Jones. Mm-hmm. The second... Jim Ursay. Jim Ursay and the Colts, yeah. They're two of very few NFL owners that are household names. Most people aren't going to know the names of other teams' owners outside of the one that you're a fan base of.
1: And even then, sometimes not. Like the
0: Titans owner? I have no idea. Couldn't tell you.
1: Couldn't tell you. That's just not what we know. But we know Jerry Jones. We know Jim Ursae.
0: We know... Robert Kraft. We know Robert Kraft. And so part of my thought process is he's a guy who's been active in the media. He's talked to people. He's had his own press conferences. He's had his own scandals even. That's true. So my thought is the federal government type agency that has been Foxborough for the last 20 years is not a Robert Kraft thing, I don't think. I think that's a Bill Belichick thing. I think that's fair. If I had to bet on it, if Robert Kraft has a sort of ultimatum or a plan to say Bill is out day one of the offseason, we're going to hear about it before it happens. It's not Robert's way to keep things super behind closed doors. Maybe a little bit, but not on lock. Yeah,
1: he's definitely not a tabloid guy, but he's too in the media to completely hide stuff where Belichick, we know, keeps things
0: completely under wraps. Exactly. So my thought process is that we'll find out sooner rather than later if Bill is truly going to be gone within the next four months. Yeah, I think the seat is very warm. Yeah, and I I think that this is entirely uncharted waters. You know, I have one friend who's a very, very big Patriots fan, and he's gone out and he's like, yeah, this season kind of sucks, but you know... It's really nothing compared to every single day of the last 20 years of my life. I've woken up and said, I expect us to win the Super Bowl this year and been right a fourth of the time.
1: That's absolutely absurd. You're right, though. It literally a 25 ish percent chance of winning the Super Bowl every single year.
0: Yeah. So this is just entirely uncharted waters. Does Robert Kraft know how to fire a coach or a general manager or we'll totally find out what happens this offseason? I
1: don't expect drama, but I do expect some changes in New England, and it might be coach and quarterback.
0: I will say the last time Bill Belichick was named a head coach of a football team, it was a lot of drama.
1: That's because New York was involved.
0: Good point. (laughs) But another team
1: that's feeling the pressure on the hot seat, the Minnesota Vikings lost at home to the Chiefs Going into the season, I don't think anybody would have been upset with the Vikings losing to the defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. No one. However, it felt like the Vikings had a shot. Yes. And on a season that now is at one and four, kind of going off the rails. Justin Jefferson put on IR. He's out for the next month. Minimum. It really feels like the Vikings needed that win
0: because things are slipping away in a hurry. I think that Vikings fans, and I've gone on the record to say this before, and this is more so, I think all fans of all fan bases are guilty of this to a certain extent. It just so happens to be that last year the Vikings got a lot of success. And so the optimism in a fan base is, oh, we're definitely going to build on that. There's no way we can get worse. The reality is, how many of those wins were luck? Yeah. Was it, and I'm not going to say all of them were, they're a good football team. They had the best receiver in the NFL. Kirk Cousins played very good football to start the season. He was only okay, but he was very efficient. He didn't yep. turn the ball over. He wasn't throwing for 300 yards and two touchdowns every week for the first five games. No, nah, but he, he but wasn't he was, a liability. But he wasn't a liability. He was getting it done for them. And then at the end of the season, he was throwing 300 yards and three touchdowns every yep. game. So, so in reality... Yeah, they won 13 games, but maybe mm-hmm. five of those were luck. Yeah, And that's true of every NFL team. Totally. If you win 11 one-score football games, you can't expect to do that every single season. You have to get a little bit better and start blowing a couple of those bad teams out, like you've been saying, all yeah. season long.
1: Totally. Good teams will beat the pants off of bad teams. The Vikings have been very competitive with everyone. They haven't beaten the brakes off anybody
0: exactly and i'm not going to say that the vikings can't flip it around i know a lot of fans have completely lost hope but as a detroit fan look at us last year one and six yeah we were half a game out of the playoffs and honestly on the last day of the season it's almost a unanimous take in media at this point in time that the lions were a top seven team at worst on the last day of this last season
1: yeah no the lions ended really really well last season started hot this season So there's hope for the Vikings. I think the bigger concern is a month from now, with Jefferson sitting out this entire time, if the Vikings lose three of the next four, let's say, which, looking at the opponents, not likely, but definitely possible, they have the Bears, 49ers, Packers, and Falcons. If they lose three of those four, playoffs are basically gone. And you've got to start thinking, maybe we let Jefferson just rest, get fully healthy, sit him a few more weeks. Maybe you start thinking about where's our draft pick going to be? Because a top 10 draft pick is a whole lot more helpful next year than being at 17.
0: Yeah, I think that definitely has some truth to it. Like you kind of foreshadowed a little bit, I'm not saying the Vikings are going to, Make that Detroit turnaround that they had last season, Mm -hmm. but the odds of that happening with Jefferson out for a month plus becomes much, much more difficult. I still think it could happen. They do have some winnable games. I think that they are probably better still than the Packers. I think they're maybe better still than the Falcons in the same kind of Mm -hmm. mid ground there. But I also think if we're truly taking an outside perspective at the Vikings this season, I had them at seven and nine. I had them for their first five games. I had them at two and three. One and four is a surprise. I definitely thought they were going to beat the Bucks, but the Bucs are also much, much better than we expected them to be.
1: Yeah, that week one loss to the Bucs really stung in week one, but now week five, we look back and it's like, okay, no, the Bucs were actually legit.
0: Yeah, now we're saying, okay, the Bucs have a top seven defense in the league baker is incredibly efficient he wakes up feeling dangerous every day
1: oh yeah and we both have the bucks in our top 10 in the power rankings
0: right so now it's like okay yeah they lost to the chiefs they were very competitive with the chiefs Mm -hmm. but they also lost to the chargers people forget the chargers were a good playoff team last year yeah and justin herbert's a genuine Top 10
1: quarterback, maybe top 5, depending on how you want to cut things.
0: I would say top 7 at
1: absolute worst. Yeah, I'm good with that. So it's not like the Vikings are losing ugly games. They're losing close competitive games against genuine talent. And if you want to be an eternal optimist, all six divisional games are still to be played. That could be two wins against the Bears, two wins against the Packers. I don't think that's realistic, but let's just say they do it. I don't think there's any chance they beat the Lions twice. Obviously, you're not going to think that's possible. Maybe, maybe you split the Lions matchups. But that's a handful of wins for the Vikings that all count a little bit more when you're talking about a division. I don't think the Vikings can win the North. I think the Lions almost have it locked
0: already. Yeah. History statistically certainly is leaning the Lions away for this one. Yeah. It's not a lock. There have been teams to start off 5-0 and that have not made the playoffs before. Not very many of them, but it's happened. It's happened. So I think it's certainly plausible still. Um, I don't think the Vikings are going to be in the running for the North this year. But the NFC, while it's still better than it was last year, nine wins could still get you in. So if they really go on a run at the end of the season... Mm-hmm. They could still sneak their way in. They would have to win, I'm going to say, at least three of their six NFC North matchups. I think three is very doable. Steal away some combination of three. Yeah. I don't think it's particularly likely they get one from Detroit, but I think they can absolutely get three of four from the Bears Mm -hmm. and Packers combined. It's a possibility, but the NFC North almost certainly is going to
1: Detroit because The Lions are not a fluke. I've been saying it all season. Good teams beat bad teams. The Lions played the Panthers, a bad team, and they won big. It was, I think, 42-24.
0: Yeah, final score, 42-24, and seven of those points for the Panthers came within the one final minute.
1: Yeah, true garbage time. True garbage time. And, I mean, Jared Goff looked excellent. He had three passing touchdowns. He had a little uh, brotherly shove, rushing touchdown the Lions did exactly what they should do against an inferior team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, last week, they absolutely demolished the Packers via their run game. David Montgomery had something like 141 yards, I think it was, and three rushing touchdowns. This week, Goff had three passing touchdowns and a rushing touchdown. Um, And one of the reporters, after their game, They looked at Jared Goff and they go, okay, so you guys aren't a running team because tonight you had three passing touchdowns. But maybe you're not always a passing team because last week you had three rushing touchdowns. So what kind of a team are you? And Goff looked the reporter back in the eye and said, we're a good team. And I think that's totally right. That's a
1: phenomenal answer.
0: Yeah. I think he totally hit it on the head after how many years of having been written off jared goff's entire career was written off oh
1: yeah no he was an afterthought in that trade for matthew stafford but he's really turned it around and he looks good the lions identity i think it's exactly that good team they aren't a passing team they aren't a rushing team they aren't a defensive team they're just good everywhere and they've really really embraced dan campbell's culture setting of bite your kneecaps off, standing on your door front waiting for you to come out. Like, They're just there to fight. They're playing physical,
0: nasty football all across the board. Yeah, and I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. One of the things we want to talk about is that we may – Oh uh JJ Watt an apology because his brother is playing really, mm. really dominant football. Yeah. But there is I still do think Micah Parsons is in the running for that defensive player of the year. I still think Miles Garrett is in the running for that defensive player of the year. And while I don't think Aiden Hutchinson is in that running yet, he's really making a case to say, oh, oh guys, I'm I'm a top five edge rusher too. You know, yeah. the interception he had this this past week was nasty. That was crazy.
1: If you haven't seen the interception Aiden Hutchinson had this weekend, look it up. He basically was in a position to SWAT the pass down and instead
0: he just palmed the ball at the line of scrimmage and took it. Yeah, he's just he's a phenomenal athlete. While he doesn't have as many sacks as TJ Watt, TJ Watt has eight and Aiden Hutchinson has four and a half. Aiden Hutchinson, five games into his second season, has broken the record for most interceptions by a D lineman in their first two. He has twelve games left in his yeah. second season and has already broken that record. Nah, no,
1: it's crazy, and he and he plays a pretty traditional defensive line position, as does T.J. Watt. And I think with both of those guys, with Hutch and with Watt, this is like we said, a field in uh, covered in professional athletes, and you watch those games. And Aiden Hutchinson pops off the screen because he's so
0: much better than professional opponents. Right. I think that's totally it. He's not putting up the sack numbers that T.J. Watt and Miles Garrett and Micah Parsons do. Mm -hmm. But he does have more pressures than any of those other individuals. He's number one in the league in pressures. Which disrupts an offense in ways
1: that you can't totally quantify, which is why they track QB pressures. Because, yeah, you're not necessarily getting the sack but you are affecting the outcome of that play.
0: Right. And so I think that while he's maybe not on those threes level quite yet, he's easily making an argument to push himself into that conversation. I mean, he's exactly what they wanted a hundred percent, even down to the fact that when he was a kid, he was a lions fan. He's a Michigan native. I just love that. I love those stories. Yeah. It's, you know, Adam Thielen playing in Minnesota. It's, it's everything that a fan base wants. It's their hometown kid getting a shot. Totally. But T.J. Watt is a different breed. He
1: wrecked the Ravens left and right, ended the game with a sack, and sealed the win in a game that the Steelers had no business winning. And apparently, T.J. Watt actually dislocated his fingers so badly in the game, he tore multiple tendons in his finger. He just shoved it back in because he didn't want to come off the field.
0: That's I'm going to say that's awesome, but I don't want to condone such behavior. No, But like, it's, like, kind of awesome. It's kind of
1: <laughs> awesome. It's nasty. And um, kids, if you're listening, if you dislocate a finger, please go get it checked out.
0: Yeah, uh, do- go to the doctor. Have a doctor set
1: that. Um, T.J. Watt doesn't care. T.J.
0: Watt, you're so cool.
1: <laughs> it was just absolutely ridiculous watching. He pushes through double teams. He's causing pressure. And against a mobile quarterback in Lamar Jackson and he wrecked the game. Wrecked the game at key moments and I think that's something that JJ Watt has been very vocal about TJ being the best defensive player this year. JJ understands there's a little bit extra when you do it in the big moments.
0: Yeah, for sure. We
1: saw we saw that in the Super Bowl the Rams having the Super Bowl kind of on the line, needed a play and Sean McVay was mic'd up and he's like Aaron Donald's going to make a play, like Aaron's going to get it. Yeah. Aaron goes out and makes makes the play, gets a sack, ends the game essentially. Right. Some of those guys, Aaron Donald, T.J. Watt, Aiden Hutchinson, it's putting himself in that conversation, they're defensive players that when it's all on the line, you just kind of know they can get it done. And the coaches know it too. I mean, you're drawing up those plays. It's like when the game is on the line, we're going to scheme this thing so T.J. gets a one-on-one we're going to yeah, we're exactly. going to pull a linebacker up the middle to clog things up and get TJ on the edge. Like you you put your best players in an opportunity to succeed
0: and the really special players do. Right. And that's that's totally what TJ Watt is. I will say I'm not totally ready to concede to JJ yet. I do still think a conversation is to be had, but TJ is the front runner at this point in the season.
1: Yeah, now he's
0: he's phenomenal. We'll see how it
1: All unfolds, Micah Parsons, Miles Garrett, Aiden Hutchinson. It's going to be an interesting conversation for Defensive Player of the Year, but it's fun to have a lot of guys in that talk. On the Offensive Player of the Year, which also includes MVP consideration, somebody we're going to need to start talking about seriously
0: is Brock Purdy. Yeah, the guy has been on a tear. And last week, we even talked about it. We were going out and we were saying, how does Brock have better odds than Christian McCaffrey? Everyone on the planet knows when you talk about the 49ers, the best player on the team is Christian McCaffrey. And I've been thinking to myself a little bit after watching that game on Sunday night, this reminds me an awful lot of the Rams team that lost in the Super Bowl to the Patriots. Jared Goff was in the MVP conversation, but who was the best player on that team? Todd Gurley. Right. But Jared Goff did a lot in that season to put himself in the conversation. And now I'm staring at Brock Purdy and I'm like, okay, Christian McCaffrey is the best player on your team. But here we are with Brock Purdy being ranked eighth in passing yards. Seventh in passing touchdowns. Mm -hmm. Second in completion percentage. Second in yards per pass attempt. Tied for first with C.J. Stroud in interception uh, percentage. Neither of them have thrown a pick yet five games into this year. He's first in quarterback rating, and he's first in passer rating. Those are phenomenal stats. And there
1: is a lot of chatter. I think because Purdy was not a first-round pick, he was literally the last pick in the NFL draft, there's a lot of chatter about... Well, it's a good system, or Shanahan's a phenomenal coach, or he has Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. He has incredible talent around him. All of that is true and he's still the quarterback out there executing.
0: When we I've said this before, but when we compare what Jimmy G did with virtually the exact Mm, same team, mm -hmm. not literally, but very, very similar rosters. And same coach, same playbook. Same coach, same playbook. Brock Purdy is doing more with the same types of things and is trusted to do more with the same types of things.
1: I think that's a huge piece of it. Shanahan, if you track his career, kind of go back a couple of coaching stops for him, he really designed an offensive system that requires two things out of your quarterback, good processing and accurate ball placement. You got to have high football IQ and you have to be able to put the ball between the numbers. Make make it catchable for the receivers. Purdy does that
0: extremely well. And on the flip end of that same coin, I want to say, okay, I was watching the Raiders take on the Packers, and yeah. we were out here saying, okay, how many times is Garoppolo going to miss Devontae Adams going down the middle of the field?
1: No, it's, it's an interesting comparison because obviously Jimmy G was the 49ers quarterback and on top of all of that Brock Purdy looks this good seven months removed from a major elbow surgery in his throwing arm like what he's doing is unprecedented
0: right he's doing all of these things coming off of Tommy John surgery and he just looks great it doesn't does. matter at all yeah and after this weekend's performance
1: he's now I believe tied for fifth in MVP odds
0: rightfully so to be honest
1: yeah it's a real conversation. Brock party is a genuine MVP candidate after five weeks.
0: And that doesn't mean that Christian McCaffrey shouldn't also be. I will say thinking back to that same analogy from earlier with Jared Goff and Todd Gurley. Yeah. If you have two players on your team and they're running for most valuable player, chances are neither of them are most valuable because they're both incredibly valuable. So yep. you can't truly be an MVP of an entire league. That's a good point. But they are two of the absolute top players in the NFL right now.
1: Yeah, and I think
0: we're living
1: in a reality where the Niners are good enough. We could see Brock Purdy MVP and Christian McCaffrey Offensive Player of the Year.
0: Absolutely, we could.
1: So that'll be fun to watch as it unfolds the rest of the season. Another MVP candidate, Tua Vailoa and the Miami Dolphins. Tyreek Hill, specifically, is an absolute cheat code. This weekend, he was 8-for-9 with 181 yards. So he was averaging 22 yards a catch. He had a 69-70-yard touchdown. When we talked earlier about identities of teams, the Miami Dolphins have an identity. Speed.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You know, when we say the Lions' identity is literally just Dan Campbell, the Dolphins' identity is literally just I'm faster than you.
1: I'm faster. That's it. They're going to outrun you all over the field. And the absolute abundance of riches is crazy because they lost Devon A. Chan for a number of weeks. He's going to be out with a knee injury. And the national media really hasn't even batted an eye. It's like, oh, it's a bummer for him. He's been phenomenal the last three weeks. And the Dolphins will hand it off to Mostert. Eh, They'll throw it to Waddle. Eh, They'll throw it to Tyreek. They have so many ways to slice and dice defenses that it almost doesn't matter if somebody gets hurt unless it's Tua.
0: Yeah, exactly. Unless it's Tua. We have seen one, maybe two offenses better than what we all dubbed the greatest show on turf. The 2000 Rams were at the time labeled the greatest offense in NFL history. Mm -hmm. I will say we've since seen the 2013 Broncos go on to absolutely dominate everything that wasn't the Super Bowl. Yeah, totally, you know, with 5,000 some yards and 50 some touchdowns and, you know, multiple thousand yard receivers and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That was the greatest offense in NFL history. Mm -hmm. But these Dolphins, they have more total yards through their first five games than the 2000 Rams, more total yards through their first five games than those 2013 Broncos. Yeah, they truly for through the first five games of the season are possibly the best offense in NFL history
1: yeah it's gonna be super interesting to see if they can sustain that because we talked about last year they started really hot and kind of faltered obviously it's a better team this year they added some more pieces they've had more time to gel Mike and Daniels are doing a phenomenal job calling plays they use motion all over the field and basically they're moving pieces every single time and they're all really really
0: fast we just need to see them continue to put it together more consistently. Then we'll be talking, okay, there's a three-way race for the AFC Championship and the Bengals aren't even in it,
1: which is crazy to think. So we'll we'll see that. The Bills are an interesting one. Obviously, they lost this weekend in London. And I do think it's really interesting. The Jacksonville Jaguars knocked off the Bills. The Jaguars, we all expected to be pretty good. Most of that hinging on Trevor Lawrence being better and getting better every season. But I also think what's interesting here, the travel effect of going to London. The Jaguars had back-to-back London games. Stayed in London, host the Bills, who are supposedly a better team, and they got the win.
0: Yeah, I think the travel absolutely had something to do with it, but I also think the Bills... Going back to last year, even, to start the season, they were very, very heavy Super Bowl favorites. Mm -hmm. Okay, Bills, we need to see you put it together for more than two consecutive weeks.
1: Yeah, we'll see what they can do. But again, we talk about it often, a truly elite quarterback makes a world of difference. QB wins, not a stat. And any individual player that's going to influence a game, quarterback has the most direct effect. Josh
0: Allen is elite. Definitely. And Trevor Lawrence... As much as we said, he is maybe the best quarterback prospect ever, question mark. We still need him to put it together for a full season. He finished last year super, super strong as well. So not to take away from their win, but also Bills. Let's see you put it together for multiple weeks. Jaguars. You've looked off to start the year. Okay, are you going to build on this now? We want to see you be consistent, too. It's looking like the powerhouses in the NFC are going to be really consistent. The last several years, the AFC has been significantly better. But this year, it looks like the AFC is really not picking up where they left off. So we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, and there's no cakewalk for the Jaguars because the Houston Texans, kind of out of nowhere, are good. Primarily because C.J. Stroud is so much better than expected. Stroud has seven touchdowns through these first five weeks. Not a single pick, like you mentioned. He's averaging right around eight yards a throw. And he doesn't look intimidated by the NFL speed at all.
0: No, and he's doing that without virtually any of his starting O-linemen. Damian Pierce has been fine, but none of his receivers are lighting it up. He's really doing this with a meh supporting cast and an, an all right defense. And C.J. Stroud is totally breaking the mold of what I've even called out previously and said, Yeah, often the second quarterback taken in the draft, they usually end up being nowhere near as good. Zach Wilson, for example, mm-hmm. or Sam Darnold or insert whoever, Yeah, they've more often than not over the last two, three decades ended up as busts. Yeah, C.J. Stroud looks like he's
1: legit. We keep talking about identities of teams. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, their identity is mm, we have Patrick Mahomes and we have Travis Kelsey. That's it. That is the whole offensive identity. Without Kelsey, the Chiefs really don't have a ton of talent. They have a lot of maybe he's good wide receivers or maybe he just plays with the best quarterback in the NFL.
0: Yeah, Maybe he's good, might even be a stretch. We've seen some of these guys really, I don't know a better way to say it than just suck.
1: (laughs) No, I mean, some of them are flat-out terrible on another team, and they come to Kansas City, and it's like, well, maybe they're not terrible. No, Patrick Mahomes is that good.
0: Yeah, and it's really just, like you said, when they, they think about their offensive identity, it's we have Patrick Mahomes, we have Travis Kelsey, You know where the ball is going. You know exactly what I want to do. Try and stop me. I'm better than you.
1: And most of the time, they're right. That works. It's a model that we've seen. The Patriots did it for a long time with Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And frankly, the Buccaneers did it too when they brought Brady and Gronk to Tampa. It works. If you have a dominant tight end, and I'm not talking a good tight end, a truly all-time great dominant tight end rob gronkowski travis kelsey both in well in my top three all time but i think in everyone's top five
0: yeah i mean gonzalez is the only one that is also in that conversation there's exactly it
1: yep for me those are the three and we can debate all day which order you put them in but it's totally worked before it's working for kansas city It'll be interesting to see what they do if Kelsey misses time with that sprained ankle, courtesy of the uh, artificial turf in Minnesota. Kelsey was 10 catches against the Vikings. The rest of the team had 21. So he's quite literally a third of their offensive production.
0: Yeah, and if they can't continue to do that, then they're going to be in trouble because, like you said, they have struggled a little bit. They have had a lack of other playmakers throughout this entire season. Chris Jones coming back was huge. He's playing very, very well. He's obviously dominant, but their defense is working to bend and not break. They haven't allowed a ton of points, but they aren't a stacked unit by any means. They're just trying to do as best they can to keep Patrick and Travis in a winning position.
1: And at the end of the day, I'm not going to bet against Patrick Mahomes. No, I'm not. Plus, this week on a short week, even if Kelsey doesn't play, they're playing the Broncos, who we talked about as being actively terrible. The Broncos have not beaten the Chiefs since 2015. Uh, They did, in fact, win the Super Bowl in 2016 while losing to the Chiefs both times that season. Money all over the place is going to be on the Chiefs for this one because the Chiefs have Patrick
0: Mahomes and the Broncos are bad. The last quarterback to play for the Broncos and beat the Chiefs is Peyton Manning, and I don't think Russell Wilson in any year, even when he was playing phenomenally in Seattle, is anywhere near as good as Peyton Manning. No, that's, a that's yeah. The Broncos weren't good this weekend either, and this was a
1: bit of a revenge game in a sense. Nathaniel Hackett, the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets, was the head coach of the Denver Broncos last year, and... They determined that for whatever reason, he couldn't, well, for lack of a better word, hack it. (laughs) They, They traded away a ton. They traded away a first round pick and a second round pick to bring in Sean Payton since he was technically under contract with the Saints. And Payton basically said Nathaniel Hackett put together the worst coaching performance in the history of the NFL. Not exactly the words, but pretty much. So it felt like a personal vendetta for the Jets to come in and play the Broncos, play Sean Payton's Broncos, and prove that Hackett maybe wasn't the issue. And after that game, I think they were right. The issue may not have been the coach.
0: Yeah. I mean, I will give some slack to Russell Wilson. He's definitely not the issue this season. It's not like he is the answer. He's not providing solutions, but he's definitely not the major issue. The defense is, and... Granted, defense is not what Sean Payton is known for. True. But you are a coach that is going to be in the Hall of Fame one day. You have expectations and standards Mm -hmm. that you should be meeting, which you are just absolutely failing at.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, you said Russell Wilson is not the problem, but he's also not the solution. The issue with that is they're paying him to be the solution, to cover up some deficiencies, to make up for some shortcomings
0: on the roster.
1: And he's just not doing that.
0: And I did just go ahead and look up what the exact phrasing was. Sean Payton's comments about Nathaniel Hackett were, it might have been one of the worst coaching jobs in the history of the NFL. That's how bad it was. Oof. But here we are. The Broncos have lost to not only Nathaniel Hackett, they're, former coach from last season Mm -hmm. but they've also lost to several other previous Broncos coaches uh McDaniels with the Raiders they lost to him just straight up he's a head coach of the Raiders now yeah they also lost to Mike McDaniel the Dolphins head coach who yes they're a juggernaut but he's made it very clear in his interviews from you know 20 years ago even saying his dream job is to be the coach of the Denver Broncos he grew up a Broncos fan and ball boy and Ball boy, Yeah. They lost to him. They've lost to Vic Fangio. They, they're they losing to everybody that they let walk. And I'm not saying that it was the wrong choice to let those guys walk.
1: No, not necessarily.
0: Hackett did do a bad job. But mm-hmm. you can't say those things and then do as equally bad
1: of a job. Right. And Meanwhile, Sean Payton's old team, the New Orleans Saints, dropped 34 on Bill Belichick's Patriots in a shutout victory. So Sean Payton, not on the hot seat yet because of what they gave up to get him. But it's going to get pretty uncomfortable if the Broncos keep playing like this.
0: Yeah, it's totally possible. I mean, we've beat it to death already, but they did let up a borderline NFL record, 70 points in one game.
1: And if we jump into the power rankings, I think you actually do have the Broncos
0: near the bottom, if not on bottom. I do. I've got them at number thirty-two after this past week. Um, you could convince me otherwise, but they just look terrible out there all the time. Yeah, there are a few teams that are really going to be in the running. We need to see what they do in the next week or two, like the Raiders or the Patriots, or honestly, after this past weekend, even the Packers could be in the running for that.
1: It'll be interesting. I, I mean, I'm with you. I have the Broncos as thirty-one. I still have the Panthers at the bottom of the barrel. Um, first time for them being there. They just Don't look like they're getting any better. The Bears got a win. I bumped them up a little. But a lot of teams, like you said, the Giants, the Patriots, don't forget about the Cardinals, who started the season as the worst team in the league. There's a lot of not great teams kind of hovering down in that bottom five.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The thing for the Cardinals with me are they have shown fight in virtually every game they're in. The Panthers have shown fight in one game. It was against the Vikings, and it was only because the Vikings refused to hold on to the ball. Yeah. The Broncos just continuously disappoint when they're supposed to be meh. They have Uh a marginal quarterback. They have quality skill position players, and they have a really, really good corner in Patrick Sertain, but they're just not doing it.
1: They're just not. And you're right. There's no fight. They don't look
0: like they
1: are... Play into the whistle. They don't seem to care. We'll see if they can turn it around. We'll see the teams on top if they can hold on to where they are. 49ers are the best team in the league. I don't think it's even a debate at this point. No.
0: It's the Niners in their own class. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The Niners are by far the best team. They are truly the only team in the league that has shown no struggles so far this season, not even one. Yeah, they've looked flawless week in, week out. Doesn't matter
1: who they're playing against. We disagree on the order of the next handful, but for the most part, we're on the same page. I have Dolphins, Chiefs, Bills,
0: Eagles rounding out the five. Yeah, well, I've got the Niners, Chiefs, Bills, Dolphins, Lions, and then the Eagles. Okay. I'm probably going to get some pushback on having the Lions over Eagles considering their records. But here's what I'll say. the Lions. Similarly to what I was saying about the 49ers, have virtually not struggled. They they were in a fist fight against the Chiefs, but you could kind of tell the Lions were pushing through that game. There was a feeling that the Lions were going to win. Meanwhile, the Eagles better record than the Lions. Lions four and one, Eagles five and zero. But the Eagles have struggled in every single game. They're barely pulling out these wins. And their offense just has not looked as potent as it did last year.
1: I think that's fair. And for what it's worth, I do have the Lions at six. So we're not that far off on that one. Right. And and I think the Lions, you're right, are ascending. If the Eagles don't make some convincing wins, I think they'll start to drop.
0: Yeah, exactly. As you've said all season long, good teams beat up on bad teams. I need to see the Eagles beat up on a bad team. Bad team. Similarly, I've got the Chiefs at two. Mm -hmm. Uh, If they don't start putting up some big wins outside of against the Bears, who were at the time the worst team in the league, maybe still are, they're going to be dropping two.
1: Yeah, and both those teams are going to have some good opportunities. The Eagles have Dolphins, Cowboys, and Chiefs, and Bills, and Niners, all coming up in their next stretch of five, six games. The Chiefs have the Chargers and Dolphins, and obviously that matchup with the Eagles. So we'll see how they put those together going forward. Honestly, it's hard to bet against either team um, or really anybody in that top five. The Niners, Dolphins, Chiefs, Bills, Eagles,
0: Lions, however you want to order
1: that six. They all look good, and they theoretically should continue to get better.
0: Yeah, I would agree. We're going to see some heavyweight matchups coming up here in the next couple of weeks, especially on the AFC side. Um, So they're going to be throwing some some big punches towards each other, and we're really going to see who's made of what.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's a good time to be a football fan. And that's going to do it for us here in the AD's office. Thanks for hanging with us. Make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us in the AD's office. Tune in next week as we take you through our takes on the NFL.